guys have no idea how much I just want to jump up and down and shout. Right in the middle of her song. It's one of those songs that you have to pull over in the side of the road when you're listening to, if you are like I am. Because you might have an accident if you don't, you know. It's hard to drive and cry at the same time. If you're going to be pumping your arms and swinging around a little bit, it's even... Every now and then it'll happen at a stoplight and I'll think, I bet the people behind me think I'm crazy over here. Our Lord Jesus is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Um, you know, the song that, uh, the first song that we sang having to do with the, uh, the star, and there's six verses to it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, six verses is a lot. And then you start singing, and it's like, oh yeah, that's really important. And then you sing the second, oh yeah, that's really important. And you sing all the way through it, and it's like at the end of it, we finally get to add our voice to it. And it's like, yeah, this is really important right here, being able to, to recognize the greatness of our coming Savior. What a tremendous truth. I hope, uh, man, I don't know, if, you, if, that, if what we just heard doesn't, uh, as uh, uh, an old pastor said many years ago, if that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper is broke. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you got problems, quite honestly, if that doesn't just thrill your soul. Uh, our, our, the glory of our Lord Jesus should thrill your soul. It should thrill your soul. If it doesn't, I'm sorry for you, honestly. At, at, uh, at best, you're being cheated out of wonderful things. At worst, you're just not a new creature, and that's why you can't enjoy how great the Lord Jesus is. Um, he is worthy. This is, you know, this month, you know, I, I love that at, starting at the very beginning of the month, we begin to sing Christmas hymns. Of course, it's very easy to sing Christ-centered hymns all year long, but to sing hymns specifically talking about God's grace to this world and sending the Lord Jesus to pay for our sins and him coming as a, as a little child, as we see in the bulletin, you know, thinking says, uh, not with fanfares from above, although the angels did uh, announce his birth, and it was great glory to see, but it wasn't to all the world. It wasn't to all the world. It was simply to some shepherds who were watching their sheep. The great shepherd was revealed to those that, uh, um, that were watching the sheep that evening. It says, not with scenes of glory, but a humble gift of love. Jesus, born of Mary. What a wonderful truth. Oh, thank God for the grace of God. Has the grace of God changed your life? Not has the grace of God forgiven you of your sins. I, I really do hope that that's true. But has the grace of God changed your life? Really changed your life? Because it changes you from the inside out. This is a wonderful truth about what God has done in our lives. It's, um, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I thought that there was nothing wrong with Jesus uh, growing up. I grew up going to a nominal church, and I didn't go all the time. We just went sometimes. I grew up going to, uh, to uh, what we would call a typical um, uh, social gospel preaching church in New England where, uh, where you were exposed to the things of Christendom, but not really exposed to the Christ of the Bible, if you'll understand. And I thought Jesus was a great person, a you know, wonderful guy. No problem with him at all, if you understand what I'm saying. But boy, when you meet him, when you meet him, when you meet him, everything changes when you meet him. Because he is not a wonderful guy. He is not a, 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 a godly martyr. He is not a good preacher. He's not a great teacher. He is the great I am. And, you know, eternity has stepped into time so that we could see, so that we could understand, so that we could behold the face of God in a very real sense. You know, it's really fascinating when you think about the fact that Mary bore her Savior. It's amazing. And when God asked her, would you be willing to do this? 
She said, Lord, whatever you'd have me to do, let it be unto thy handmaiden according to your will. And she gave birth, as it said, the child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. And, uh, and all of us, praise God. I hope you're delivered. I really hope you're delivered. If you're not delivered, may I recommend that you get delivered. And uh, boy, boy, I tell you, what a great Savior. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, with me, please, to James chapter 4. In my Bible, I can see James chapter 4 and chapter 3 together, uh, at least the beginning of 4. I'd like you to be able to see the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of, of 4. As, you, as John read, he read from verse 13 of chapter 3. In the first three verses of chapter 4, we will cross the threshold into chapter 4 this morning together. Uh, he read the first three verses. Again, in the context, in the context, this is uh, pretty significant. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 follows verse 18 of chapter 3. Remember, the chapter, the chapter divisions in your Bible are put there so you can find things. Now, some of them are, you know, very obviously placed, if you will. Some of them are not as well placed as others, depending upon your, uh, your reading of your Bible, if you mean, meaning sometimes it's easy to begin in the beginning of a chapter and miss the point because you needed the last few verses of the chapter before that. And that's true often, again, but we have to have these divisions. If we didn't have these divisions, we'd say, keep reading till you find these three words together and, and take a long time to get Everybody got that, right? No, not those. This, these three words. Yeah, okay, everybody good? Yeah, all right, now we're in the right place. So we can open our Bible and turn to the book of James because of the order in our Bible, and then we can open to James chapter 4, verse 1, because of the fact that God allowed for these things to be done so we could be able to find these things. But what I want you to see, I'm going to read, if you will, I'm going to read starting in verse 13 also. Because I don't think it's um, a good idea to just read the last couple of verses, but to see the context. And then I want to read right into chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and we'll begin there. So who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And this meekness of wisdom is so significant to this passage. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of the mercy, excuse me, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even from your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Father, bless us as we look into your word this morning. 
Rescue your children, all of your children, from the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lord, cause us to understand and to recognize that we will not be free until we have this meekness, this meekness of wisdom that you speak about, instead of the warring, the battling that comes from our own pleasure. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn back, in my Bible it's one page, turn back a page or two, depending upon how far you have to, to chapter 1, James chapter 1. And verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. But every man, this is, this is in contrast to the fact that God is not tempting you. Let's, let's, look, at verse, let's, let's look at verse 13, just, in, just so you can, in case you haven't read it recently. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So we see in chapter 1, this is something we learned many months ago now, that the problem, your problem, your problem, my problem, is your heart. Your problem is your heart. My problem is my heart. It's a problem. The things that are in our heart are the things that draw us away from God, our own selfish desires. They ruin our lives. God's not doing this. God would not have us to be doing this. In fact, if you're a new creature, you now have the power that this not be the reality of your life anymore. But if it is, it's because you choose to do so. But we don't have to. And I thank God that we don't have to. Remember, the whole idea, the whole, the whole theme of the book that we're looking at is God wants to pour out in your life and my life a whole new quality of life in your everyday life. He wants to change not your Sunday mornings, but every single day of your life when you're all alone. And we need this change in our life. You don't have the power to do it. We together don't have the power to do it. All of the how-to books at Lifeway don't have the power to do it. But the Holy Ghost has this kind of power. It is Christ in you that is the expectation, the hope of glory. He is able to accomplish this. If this is not being accomplished within you, this passage says in, in chapter, at the end of chapter 3, it says, lie not against the truth. If, if there are problems in your heart, if there is continual failure in your life in certain sins, stop lying about it. Be honest with God about it. Be honest with yourself about it so that you can be honest with God about it. And let him make the change that he wants to make in your life, that he's able to make in your life. So we see here that the problem is lust. And the problem and lust comes from our wicked heart. We see this. Now, we see in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, which speaks a great deal, by the way, of the tongue. The whole chapter speaks a great deal of the tongue and how terrible the tongue is and what a problem the tongue is. But why is the tongue a problem? Honestly. 
I mean, you know, I mean, when you, your tongue is not a problem unless you eat collards. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are a lot of things that I can put in my mouth. My tongue's like, hey, I really like that. And I'm like, good for you. I really like that too. Amen. Now, the irony is a lot of the things that my tongue likes, um, my waist doesn't like later. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of things that are good for my actual body, my tongue says, yeah, not so much, not so much. But we're not talking about that which goes in. We're talking about that which comes out. And the problem with our tongue, what's the problem with our tongue? You think it was connected right here. The problem with our tongue is our heart, right? And this is, this is what uh, James chapter 3 has been teaching us. James chapter 3, verse 13, getting over this, that ought, ought not so to be, right? Verse 10, uh, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Let me say this. They, they, they cannot be true at Tidewater. It's, it, it, it cannot be who we are. It can't be who we are. It can't be. We, we can't want this at all. We can't. We have to be a church where the truth is held in love. We have to be. We have to be. It is, it is the only desire, it is your pastor's only desire that we would be known humbly, humbly, not greatly, not, not significantly, not marvelously, that we would humbly be known as a group of people that the grace of God has really changed us so much that we love one another and that we love everybody that we come into contact with and want good for them in their life. That's what God wants us to be. That's what I want us to be. It's what the deacons, it's what we, and as those, you know, John James, who teaches the Sunday school in this room, and Jacob McKinney, who's teaching our senior teens, and, and Ronnie Jacobs, who's teaching our junior teens. It's, it's, it's what all of us want in our hearts, in our lives, and for all of us. Because that's what God wants. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, Dr. Watson um, said many, many weeks ago now on a Thursday night, we were reading through the book of uh, Proverbs, and we do that together when we're together on Thursday night, the men that meet. And the book, and that chapter was talking about the fool and the wise. And he said, you know, I wish I was the wise man in this chapter, but I'm afraid that I'm the fool. And the truth of the matter is, we are all, if you when they read the book of Proverbs, if you acknowledge that you are the fool, then there's a really good chance that you're actually becoming wise. Because, see, we have no wisdom of our own. And so we'll have to understand that we don't have our own wisdom. So we're going to need to have God's wisdom. And what this passage is saying is, how many of you are wise in this way? That's what it's saying. What it's saying is, how many of you really understand that left to yourself... You're a disaster, and you hurt everybody. How many of you really understand that? That's wisdom. Real wisdom is said, left to myself, I will hurt you all. So I cannot be left to myself. I must have the grace of God. I must walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, because my flesh is ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. It is ugly in a way that is so hurtful to others. And if you don't believe that about yourself, you're dangerous. Because it's true of you whether you believe it or not. 
It is true of all of us. Our only hope, our only expectation is that we would be poor in spirit, that we would recognize that this is true of us and that we would come to Christ to make the difference that only Christ can make. So who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? And then the answer is, this is how you can see this. Let him show out of a good, out of, out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And then verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts. Now, here's the thing. If it's in your heart, it is going to come out in your life. If you have it in your heart, it is going to come out in your life. And so you must, you must deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow him. You must or you will be selfish. Here's, you know what, you know what the difficulty with um, uh, any, any time that we gather together, the difficulty is this, that you would come in your flesh, that I would come in my flesh. Again, you know, the worst thing about, the worst thing about your house, my house, is that when we're in our house, unless we're walking after the Spirit, then our family sees us in our flesh. You know, I mean, the, the phrase, let your hair down, what a, I, I do it all the time, by the way, okay? <laughs> what a silly phrase. Well, I'm, I, it's nice to just be able to let your hair down. No, it's nice to walk after the Spirit. It's, not, it's necessary to walk after the Spirit, lest we train our children in hypocrisy. Look, when you're at church, act like this. But when you're home, you can do whatever you want to do. That's absurd. It's absurd. When you're, when you're at home, you should do what Jesus would want you to do. When you're at church, you should do what Jesus should, would want you to do. And what Jesus would want you to do is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. What he would want you to do is to be poor in spirit and to recognize your continual need for him. To spend time that the word of Christ might dwell in you richly and make such a tremendous change in your heart and life that it's clear to everybody. It's visible to everyone. Bitter envy, strife, is not a good thing. And we need to stop lying about it. That's what this passage says. It says, this wisdom, this, this, wisdom, this kind of wisdom, this kind of I'm better than you wisdom, this kind of a, hey, did you hear about so-and-so wisdom? This is devilish wisdom, devilish. You know, the, the, uh, there's a passage that's coming up that's going to uh, uh, talk about the fact that those who have this kind of wisdom don't even realize how fleshly they are when they're doing it. Um, I think it was this. I think it was this Thursday night. Um, Mark, who I don't see here this morning, is Mark okay? Billy, okay. Pray for Mark. Um, he was here uh, this Thursday night, and he was uh, talking about the fact that he said, "I forget that all I have to do is not want my way. That's all I have to do is to not want my way." If I just won't want my way, God will give me his way. And it will change how I am around everybody. And I'll have victory just by not wanting my way. Now, understand what this is saying. You don't have to be great, which is good, because you're not. We don't have to be great, but we do have to be broken. You don't understand what I mean by that? We have to be humble. We have to acknowledge our continual need. And if we acknowledge our continual need, we won't show up and hurt each other. We can walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. 
Now, I want to end in verse 17 because I, I want to get quickly. I really want to introduce verses 1, 2, and 3. And there's some significant things that we need to see there in our introduction. A really, really important truth. Really, really uh, powerful thing that we're going to see from God here. So it says, now, now, what God wants us to see is real good wisdom. But the wisdom, this is verse 17 of chapter 3, but the wisdom that is from above is pure. Praise God for that. The wisdom that God would give you has nothing mixed with it. Amen? The wisdom that God gives is a pure wisdom because it's his wisdom. So that's great. So the wisdom that's from above, you can rely on. And what does it look like? It's peaceable. This is a remarkable thing. God's wisdom is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Praise God. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is really important as you go into, hear me, this is really important as you go into the next chapter. This is what happens. We're going to start chapter 4. Chapter 4 is going to reveal that in the churches that James is writing to, there are wars and fightings in those churches. And we're going to talk about what that means, but they're there. Now, what this is saying is, listen, hear me. The key to victory in these wars and fightings isn't winning. It's making peace. I would say this, and I have said it a lot of times. There are very few, there are very few things that really give me joy at all anymore. And they're not these things. They're not the things. We have a lot of nice things in our church, and I'm thankful for them. I'm glad that God has provided the funds for us to be able to have nice things that work, and we're able to do good things with those. But they don't, you know, we get a package, in the, we get a lot of packages in the mail, and, and some of them are technology, and I love technology, but it doesn't give me joy. I'm just glad to be able to have it. But what gives me joy is victory in your life, and I mean that. When, when, when there's victory in your life, when there's victory in my children's lives, when there's victory in your lives, and, what, and, as the, and as your pastor, I, I, there, really, there really is. There really is no difference in the joy that I have when you have victory and the joy that I have when Andrew has victory, who's my own son. You understand what I'm saying? I get just as much joy when Wayne Fugate has victory in his life. Just as much joy. And just the same depth of joy when Wayne has victory in his life as when Andrew has victory in his life. But I suffer the same agony when you hurt one another as if my own children were hurting each other. In fact, the only thing that really makes me angry as the pastor is to hear that someone said such and such about so-and-so. It actually makes me want to just go to that person and say, why? Why? Why would you hurt your brother and sister? Why would you do this? What makes you better than them? What makes it seem right to you to speak this way? It's often, by the way, in gossip about this person or that person. Don't do it. Don't do it. It, it doesn't help you. Nobody thinks highly of you when you gossip about somebody else. Nobody does. Nobody does. Even people that smirk and smile and laugh with you, they don't think highly of you. Their flesh is entertained for a moment, but it's a terrible entertainment, and it should not be named among us at all, ever. It can't be. The fruit of righteousness, though, is not sown in defeating those people. It's not. It's sown in peace of them that make peace. I tell people when I'm counseling them, husbands and wives, 
You want to have a better relationship with your spouse? It's very simple. Don't hit the ball back. What I mean by this is this. When, 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 when married people argue, there's, it's hard to trace it to the root. And I know this because I watch them try to trace it to the root. Well, he said this. Well, she said this. Well, he said this. Let me go back like six years. You know what I'm saying? All the way back six years ago. But what happens is there's, a, there's an offense and then there's a return. And then there's a return and there's a return. It's tennis. Do you understand? You want to help everybody? Just catch the ball. Just catch the ball. Just take it. They hit it at you. Just catch it. Just put it in your pocket. I love you. I'm sorry this happened. I probably had something to do with this. I probably had something to do with this. That's it. Can Jesus do that? Yes or no? Honestly, yes or no? Nothing else matters this morning, but can Jesus catch the tennis ball when you hit it hard at him? Yes or no? Does he ever hit it back at you? No. Does he ever hit it back at anyone? No. Pilate's thinking he's all that in a bag of chips, right? Don't you know who I am? Jesus doesn't hit the ball back at him. Do you understand? It's just not who he is. That's what we need. Just put it in your pocket. When someone in the church offends you, if someone in the church offends you, I'm thankful that we don't have a lot of this in our church. I really am grateful and thankful that this is not the norm in our church. I would that it wasn't at all ever a reality, but sometimes it is. When it happens, verse 18 says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that put the ball in their pocket. Just catch it, put it in your pocket. Just make peace. Now, let me you know, I, I think I said this last week and we, as we were really looking at this passage last week. Um, talking about making a coffee cup, right? I said, you know, anybody ever spin anything on a potter's wheel? You know, John, in the Sunday school class this morning, John had images of uh, a bunch of uh, clay pots, vases, right? And some of them for, were for water. And it's really fascinating because they have a, they have a small bottom and they, and they go up like this and they close to a really small neck. And I was looking at the pictures while John was teaching. I don't, you know, I mean, it was a good crash, don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at some of the pictures thinking, how do they close the neck up like that? How do you get your hand inside? How do they do that? Do you use a stick? Do they use a stick to, make the, to get the all inside of that all smooth and everything like that? Now, the reason, the reason that I'm saying that is this. When I made something on the wheel when I was in high school, it was one of the things we had to do in art class. You had to make something out of pottery, right? And I wasn't good at it. And again, I'm a really good engineer. I can draw a straight line if you give me a ruler and a pencil, right? And I can build anything on a computer with the technology that they give us, right? I can design circuits. Praise God. It's wonderful. But I cannot, for the life of me, make anything artistic at all. I can't, I mean, I literally, I can't even draw a straight line on a piece of paper by myself. I certainly can't make anything nice on a, clay, on a wheel, right? So we had to make a coffee cup. I made a coffee cup. Right? And, it's, and it is pretty simple. You pump that wheel, the wheel goes round and round, you get your, your hands wet, you form basically the ugliest coffee cup you've ever seen in your life, and then you make a, like this little snake thing, and you make a handle, and you stick that on the side, you, you, you spread some, I forget what it is, some kind of a glaze, you put it in this oven, and you fire it, and it comes out, and you give it to your mom, and she's happy because you gave it to her, amen? <clears throat> I say that because I was still a coffee cup maker. Not a great coffee cup maker, but I willed to do it, if you understand what I'm saying. This is what this passage is saying. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that are willing to make peace. You say, well, I'm not great at making peace. Are you willing to catch it and put it in your pocket? Do you understand? Are you willing? Is it your will to be a peacemaker or to be the one that won this argument? Well, I showed them. Yeah, you sure did. Good for nobody. 
Good for nobody. Well, they know never to mess with me again. Yep, and again, good for nobody. Good for nobody. Not good for you, not good for them, not good for the rest of the people in our church, not good for the people that would have visited our church, not good for your neighbor, not good for your extended family, not good for anybody. Not good for anybody. And the Bible says, stop lying about this. Why? Because it's envy, right? It's bitterness and envy in our hearts that causes this to take place. And God wants to give us tremendous victory over this. And how do we know that? Because we see peace in verse 18 and we see war in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1. The very next verse says, since, since the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace, then the church should be full of what? Peace. Yes or no? Yes. Why isn't it? Well, if the church should be full of peace, then why isn't the church full of peace? And the answer is because of this. And so here's the thing. Underline, get your little pen out and underline two words. Two words you don't use very often in the English language anymore. Okay? From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence. And I underline them. So whence and hence, right? Where and here is what it's saying. From where do these things come? And the answer is, is it not clear that they come from here? So from whence come war and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your what? Lusts. That war in your members. And now this is all we're really going to discuss. Sorry. It says you lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war and yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your what? Lusts. So there's lust in verse 1, there's lust in verse 2, and there's lust in verse 3. What do you suppose the problem is? What do you suppose keeps the church from being at peace? What do you suppose it is? Lust. Your lust. My lust. Here's what we learn in chapter 4. Not only is my problem my lust, your problem is my lust. Because the wars and fightings that it's talking about is the friction in the body, the disagreement that people in the church have with one another. Why do we have disagreement? Now, the interesting thing is, there, here's the words that show up, right? The word lust, if you, uh, in, in, there, there are three times that the word lust shows up here, and there are actually two different, and I know everybody's going to say, yeah, of course, there's two different Greek words, right, Pastor? Yes, they're actually two different Greek words. The first verse and the, la and the third verse have the same one. The second verse has a different one. Now, the first, the first and third, the word is what we get hedonism from. Does anybody know what hedonism is? Anybody? No? Nobody knows what hedonism is? Hedonism is simply living for pleasure. A hedonist is somebody who just, if it feels good, do it. That's hedonism. That's all it is. So hedonism is simply this. It's what I want. It's what I want. Why do you have that? Because I wanted it. It's what I want. It's preference. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is why, listen, this is what happens. We have a meeting about anything. Doesn't matter what the meeting's about. You're at the meeting. They're discussing something. It's not what I want. I want this. I think we should do this. Not the Holy Ghost truly convicted me about this. Not I've been weeping and praying about this for months. Not I have a strong desire to love my brothers and sisters, and I really want to help everybody. I just feel strongly about this. I want to do it this way. That's hedonism. Pleasure. I want it my way. That's what it is. That's what that's saying. Now, this in verse 2, in verse 2, the idea of ye lust has the idea of to pursue passionately. And here's what it means I want my way, and I'm willing to fight for it. I want my way, and I'm willing to fight for it. Well, there's our problem. Yes? No? 
Yes? Not I, not, listen, not I, have, I want Jesus' way, and I'm willing to be meek for it. That's what we need. That's what we need from, from the pastor through all the church membership. That's what we need. All I want is the will of Christ, and I'm willing to be quiet and ask him for it and labor together with my brothers and sisters, laboring together in love. That's what I want to do. Amen? That's it. It's very simple. It actually is very simple. So here we go. I want to look for just a moment at this word pleasure, and I want you to see where it shows up in your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 8. We're not going to be here long. Man, time went flying so quickly. Maybe not as quick for you. I hope it was quick for you. Eight, chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. I want you to see this quickly. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. That which, fung, that which fell among thorns are they... This is our Lord Jesus talking about this parable. The good seed, good seed, right? Yes or no? Good seed went into the ground. Good seed fell on four different types of ground. It only grew in one of them. The good seed was still good seed everywhere, but it could not grow in some of the places because of the ground. And this is one of them. And that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and what? Pleasures of this life. And bring no fruit to perfection. And guess what that word perfection is there? It is a form of telos. So there is no fruit in the life. Listen to me. Listen. Self-desire. Selfish desire is a fruit killer. That's what it is. The fruit of the Spirit can't... Listen, hear me, hear me. This is so significant. It's so simple. The fruit of the Spirit cannot be in the lives of us while we are selfish. It is impossible to bring forth fruit unto perfection when you're selfish. No matter how much you want it, when, as soon as you become selfish, you just pick that fruit and smash it up, and it never gets to grow to perfection. And that's, that can't happen in our lives. Amen? Just, just be honest about it. Can, I mean, can it? Yes. Will it if we be selfish? Yes. Can there be victory over it? Oh, praise God. Yes, there can. And what is the victory over this? And that is, let's just rejoice in how great Jesus is. Let's, let's want his way and not our way. Let's all of us agree together, I want Jesus' way in all of this. Yes or no? Honestly, it is so wonderfully simple. There's such tremendous victory in our lives when this is true and can continually in our lives as a church family while this is true that we will recognize that my selfishness is a fruit killer. When I want, and again, pleasure simply means I just want my way. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're almost done. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now this goes on to talk about, but when the grace of Christ appeared to us, it changed everything. Amen? So here's the thing. We know what it's like to be selfish in our pleasure. Yes, we do. But it's not for the new man. 
It's not for the new woman. It's not for the born-again Christian. This is not for us. Our selfishness is not for us anymore. And let me say this. You will learn this if you haven't learned this. You will never have joy in your life while you're selfish. Never. You may have pleasure. You may have pleasure. You can. In fact, it's the whole point. You may have pleasure for a small period of time. And let me tell you this. If everyone, everybody who's ever done this knows this. Every Christian who's ever pursued pleasure knows how terrible it tastes in your mouth after just a little bit. Yes or no? It's, it's amazing how sick you feel to your stomach when you finally get your way. And you can't hold on to it. You, and here's the, re, here's the real, I can tell you, I have seen it over and over and over again in my life, and I have seen it over and over again in some of your lives that you've come to see me. I have seen what happens is this. There is a, a literally a sickness, a literally, actually almost a physical sickness over it when we finally get our way. And, we just, and here's the funny thing. That which you fought for, that which you warfared and battled for, and you finally got your way, you just put it down. I don't even want this. I don't even want this. And then, ironically, you'll turn to the one that you fought with for it and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I don't want what happened. I'm sorry. Now, here's the real sad thing. They, they will forgive you. There's a really good chance that they will forgive you. But there's still that hurt. All of that unnecessary hurt. So instead, when you realize, as soon as you recognize that you are, you are being selfish, stop. Just stop. Now, what I want to talk about for just a moment, so those two places make it very, very clear what this pleasure looks like. But what I want to talk about is the war and fighting and war. So in, in verse 1, from whence come wars and fighting? So what does the word war mean? And, the, and here's the thing. It is exactly what you might think it would mean. The word war means war, like World War II. Okay? That's what, or let's say it this way. The, the civil war. Let's just use the civil war. Okay? So the civil war has a starting point and an ending point, right? But there are many, what do we call them? Battles. And that's literally what the word fightings means. So from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? And this is what it means. And here's the sad thing. Why are there long-standing issues in a church? That's the war. And why are there continual conflicts in that church? And that's the fightings, the battles. So there were many, there was much fighting in the Civil War, right? There were many places, Gettysburg, uh, um, Fredericksburg. I mean, there are many, many different battlefields, but it was all over one war. Well, here's the thing. Hear me. As soon as you let go of your war, the battles end. Amen? Let's just let go of the wars. I don't even know what they are, but whatever they are, let's just let go of them. Let, let's recognize this. You know what? Let's be on the Lord's side. That's amazing. It's not done yet. Okay. It's really good timing there. All right, let's be on the, Lord, let's, let's be on the Lord's side. Let's, let's, let, honestly. So I'll stand on the Lord's side. You know, we, we, we went to uh, um, uh, Lancaster County uh, this week, a, a few of us did. Old people, right? Us old people went to Lancaster County this week. And, we, and Kenny went with us, right? And I mention this because... Picking on Kenny is somewhat of recreation for Tidewater. It has been for many, 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 many years. And this trip was no different. Uh, but, what, but the thing is, you can't pick on someone. Listen, I mean this. You can't pick on someone 
that you don't know and love really, really well. And you can't really do it in a public setting. And you surely can't do it privately. In other words, I couldn't pick on Kenny to Jimmy. Do you understand? Because that's called what? It's gossip. And it hurts Kenny, right? But I can pick on Kenny to Kenny, right? And Kenny can pick on me. He really, and trust me, he can. You know what I'm saying? And so we had, a, but we had, listen, we had, we had a great trip because in our trip, it, it, was, it was almost difficult for us to pick a restaurant to go to. You want to know why? Because nobody wanted to pick the restaurant. Oh, I don't care. Where do you guys want to go? Oh, I don't care. Where do you guys want to go? Oh, I don't care. It's like, well, I don't care either. I just care that somebody picks a restaurant. Amen? Right? And here's the thing. I'll pick one, but I don't want to, I don't, you know, I'll pick one if you say, nah. You know, it's, that's what happens, right? Oh, I don't care. Anywhere you want to go, brother. Let's go here. I don't want to go there. Well, then you do care. <laughs> so just say this. I don't care, but I'm not going here. You know what I'm saying? You can go almost anywhere, but I'm not going here, right? We had a wonderful time. But the reason that we we're able to have a wonderful time, I mean, a jokingly, laughingly, rejoicingly, weepingly wonderful time together because there was no war. So there were no battles. Amen? And praise God for that. And our whole church family Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It should be like that all the time. Yes or no? Not only should it be, honestly, it has to be. Otherwise, otherwise, we hurt each other, and we are a terrible witness to the people around us because we say Jesus is one way, but we act another way, and we just can't do that. But God wants to give us victory over this. So from whence come these, whence come these fightings and wars? Now, by the way, the interesting thing is the last word war here, the last word, it's at the end of verse 1, is, again, it's a different word than the first war. But it's significant because here's what it's saying. So, from whence cometh wars and battles among you? Come they not hence, even, even of your lusts that strategize in your members? Because this is what that last word means. It means to lead in combat is what it means. It means to, it's actually the idea behind the strategy of leadership when you go into warfare together. And here's the irony. What this is making very clear is this. When we have warfare, it's because we mean to. We actually think about it. Here's how I'll win. Right? I think we should do it this way. And I'm going to talk to Ronnie Jacobs first because I know he agrees with me. Right? And then now Ronnie's a big fella. Ronnie, come with me. Now I'm going to talk. Just, I just need one more person. that are, Kenny. Actually, Kenny agrees with me too. So we'll stop by and see Kenny. Kenny, you agree with me, right? Yep, I agree with you. Okay, now let's go talk to, we're going to make Ed. Ed does agree with us, but we're just going to pretend he doesn't. So we're going to talk to Ed. Let's go talk to Ed now. So now we go talk to Ed, and it doesn't go so well. Well, that's okay, because we ganged up on Ed, right? So now all we have to do is talk together about how stupid Ed is for a little while, right? And then we'll, we'll pick somebody else who probably will agree with us, and we'll tell him, look, we tried to talk to Ed. I mean, we're spiritual, right? We tried to include him in our little thing of what we wanted, and he didn't want anything to do with it. You want it, right, Chris? Come on, Chris. You can be on our side. Amen. Right? That's our strategy. Let it go. Let it go. Sown in peace. Sown in peace of those that make peace. What you need to do when I come to you and say, look, I want to disagree with Ed, and I want you to be on my side, you need to say, Pastor, I love you. I can't do that. I just can't make that my own. I can't make that my own. I can't do it. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for Ed. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. I want to hear about it. Amen? 
It'll die. Just catch it. Put it in your pocket. No, I don't want to be involved in that. When the conflict's about you, when the conflict's about you, and sometimes it will be about you. I don't know why. I don't know why. I would to God it wasn't true. I really would to God that it wasn't true. But if the conflict's about you, you catch it. You put it in your pocket. And, they, and, they, and you know, when you play tennis, you have more than one ball, right? I mean, I, play, I played a lot of tennis growing up. You got more than one ball. And a ball boy will throw you more if you want them, right? And so I can just keep serving it at you as hard as I want. Just catch them. Put them in your pocket. I got a whole bunch of balls over here. But I'm not going to hit them back at you anymore. I'm not going to hit them. I'm not going to be involved in this war. And I'm not going to even be involved in this battle. And I have no strategy to win because I don't want to win. I just want to sow in peace the peace that God will bring into our church family. Amen? And this, I mean, is this not wonderful? Again, this is our everyday life. This is that our great high priest of Hebrews changing our life, pleading for us, by the way, when we're wrong, right? And thank God he'll please for us when we're wrong. But not just pleading for us when we're wrong, pouring out a whole new life into our hearts where you can say, I want that kind of grace in my life. I, I want to be a peacemaker. Again, I may be a lousy cup maker, but I'm going to make some cups, if you understand what I'm saying. I am go- this is what I'm going to pursue in my heart. I'm going to pursue making peace in peace. That's what it says, right? Let's look back, let's look back at it. It's the, end of chapter, uh, it's the end of chapter 8, which 18, excuse me. It's chapter 3, verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Thank you.